And as you get those Bibles, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're at. We're going to read the first nine verses together. Why don't we stand as we read the word together? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And so it says this, And I, brethren, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted Apollos waters, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God, who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Let's pray. I think of many preachers that I listen to, and they'll read the passage before the teaching, and they'll close in a traditional fashion, the whole congregation saying, this is the word of the Lord. And Lord, we just declare that right now, that this is the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God himself, God's revelation to man. And Lord, we believe it is profitable for teaching and for doctrine that we could know the truths about God. It's profitable this morning for correction and reproof where that's needed profitable for training us up that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Lord, do all that is in your heart with your word today. We do pray that, that people wouldn't see Rory here. They'd see past the man and they'd hear the message and the message would point them to Christ. Let your spirit speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, go ahead and be seated. There's an old American folk song called Billy Boy. Oh, where have you been, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Oh, where have you been, charming Billy? I've been to seek a wife. She's the joy of my life. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Anybody? Did she ask you to come in, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Did she ask you to come in, charming Billy? Yes, she asked me to come in. There's a dimple on her chin. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Can she make a cherry pie, Billy boy, Billy boy? Can she make a cherry pie? Charming Billy, she can make a cherry pie quick as a cat can wink an eye. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. How old is she, Billy boy? How old is she, Charming Billy? Three times six and four times seven, 28 and 11. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. When you sing the chorus, she's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. How old is she, Billy boy, Billy boy? How old is she, charming Billy? We get this mathematical equation for us that ends with she's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. But as you do the math, you realize she's not such a young thing after all. And when you do the math, the gal is actually 85 years old. All of a sudden, you're concerned about Charming Billy and even more concerned about his wife. This folk song is about a dysfunctional personality. By the time you're 85, you're expected to be grown up and moved out. You're no longer a child, but an adult. As we read 1 Corinthians, this is Paul's concern in regards to the church at Corinth. They were now five years old as a church. They were at a stage in life where Paul expected them to show some maturity. Instead, they were acting like babes, Paul says. They were legitimate believers, but they were dysfunctional. They weren't growing up. And so Paul coins a term to describe them. He calls them carnal. 
In verse one, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Hop back a chapter in your Bible to chapter two, verses six through 12. And Paul says, we speak wisdom. Chapter two, verse six, we speak wisdom to the mature. Not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. We looked at this two weeks ago, how we're not to speak wisdom to each other, wisdom of the world that's very selfish and temporal and fleshly, but we're to look to the scriptures, to the word of God, to get God's desire, God's heart. We look to the source of wisdom for true wisdom. It has an eternal perspective. It has a perspective that's about the glory of God, about the things of God. It's, it's about other people and how we can serve them and, and model Christ in this world. Wisdom of this world is very selfish. It's me-centered, self-centered. Wisdom from above is pure and peaceable. It's willing to yield. It's seeking things that are above. <clears throat> Paul says, we speak these things to you. It's, it's like a mystery. And we looked two weeks ago at how the mystery isn't something new that, that I would speak to you. It's actually the gospel. The gospel in its simple form. It's wonderful. And, and we would speak this to you. In fact, in verse 10 there of chapter 2, it says, God has revealed things to us through his spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that searches things and plunges the deep things of God and surfaces it and brings it to us. That's what the Holy Spirit does in a Christian's life. Plunges the depths and the riches and the wisdom of God and brings it to the Christian. He says there in chapter 2 verse 11, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. I can't look at you and just know everything you've ever experienced, just know your, your greatest joy, the things that you love the most, your greatest way to relax, the things that were the most traumatic in your life. I don't know those things. You do. Your deeper spirit inside, you know those things. Even so, we look at God and he is so deep. He's this vast reservoir of, of love and grace and mercy and wisdom and plans. And, 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 and without the Holy Spirit inside us, we could never comprehend that. But the beautiful thing is we have as Christians the Holy Spirit in us. We become spiritual men. In verse 12 of chapter 2 We've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might grow up and know the things that have been freely given to us by God. All this talk in chapter 2 about the spiritual men, mature men, receiving deep things of God as the spirit lives in him. These beautiful things had not been spoken to the Corinthians yet. Because they weren't acting as spiritual men and mature men. Rather, they were living like the natural man or the carnal man. Now, we want to know that Paul's not talking to unbelievers in Corinth. As you look at chapter 1, verse 2, who is all of this addressed to? To the church of God who's in Corinth. To those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit is doing a work of sanctifying them. That might be a new word to some of you. It means he's setting you apart from the old way you used to be. He's setting you apart from the world and its wicked and evil ways. And what you used to be and I used to be, he's setting apart and conforming us into the image of Christ. Those are, that's who Paul's writing to right here. People who are sanctified. People that says there who are called to be saints. People who are Christians. So far in our study in 1 Corinthians, we see kind of this contrast between two different type of men. We've got a, a natural man and a spiritual man in chapter 2. Here in chapter 3, we have a carnal, immature man who's a baby in Christ versus a spiritual man, mature and knows the deep things of God. We read of a natural man in chapter 2, full of sin and rebellion, ignorance and prejudice. Natural things for a natural man. But the spiritual man we read of in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he's a guy or a gal who's animated by God. 
The Holy Spirit dwells within him or her, still sins at times, not absolutely perfect, but working out the God, the God, the God, that's how Brazilian people talk, the God, I want to tell you about the God, the God is working out in him a life that is looking more and more like Jesus's every day. And when he does sin, he grieves about it. He's sorrowful about it because it goes against his new nature. He or she is a spiritual individual. Deep inside, they have a desire to please God and to love God and to love other people. We read of a spiritual man in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There was a Pharisee whose name was Nicodemus, and he was a ruler over the Jews. He came at night to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. You've come from God. No one can do these signs unless it was God who was doing them. And Jesus says, hey, here's here's what Jesus says. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What a response, huh? Here's Nicodemus sneaking away at night. I gotta have a meeting with this guy. This is is amazing. You've gotta be God. No one could do this unless he was God. And, And you know what? Hey, you can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And so Nicodemus is like, what the what? Like, am I supposed to like get into a ball and be put into my mother's womb again? That's what he's saying. And born again, what? Okay, absolute confusion for such a smart guy. He actually says, you know, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's a natural birth, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, 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 That for a man to go to heaven or for a man to partake in the kingdom of God, even today, he can't be a natural man. He can't have just been born once out of his mother's womb. He or she needs to be born again, needs to be regenerate, needs to be made into a new creation by the spirit of God given a new heart and a new mind. The new covenant prophecies would say that that I will, the Lord says, take out your heart of stone and put into you a heart of flesh that now beats and can live and know God. Some of you come into this room today and you're a natural man. You've never been born again. You try to be religious. You try to put on a show. You try to put on appearance. But be honest with yourself today. You haven't understood anything that's gone on here. You know, singing, oh my gosh. I only do that at a Toby Keith concert, okay? (laughs) Lifting up your hands in public, what is that? Reading the Bible, boring, okay? (laughs) I'm not asking you if you were raised in church. I'm not asking you if you're a Boy Scout. I'm not asking you if you've gone on a missions trip or if you've held an office in a church. I would ask you today, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have you rested in Christ to remove your sin? Have you received forgiveness and the remission of sin, the taking away of sin? Have you allowed God as Lord of your life to place the Holy Spirit into you that he could dwell in you? I know that's Holy Spirit. I'm just saying, is God dwelling in you? Is he giving you power? Is he giving you an appetite for the things of God? Or are you a natural man? It's been said that if you are born one time, you will die two times. You just have a mama birth in the hospital. They put a little plastic thing around your wrist. That's it. You will die one day and have a grave. And then you will be resurrected to stand before the judge of the universe, God himself in his holiness. And he will say, what have you done with my son, Jesus? And you say, nothing. I was a boy scout or I went to church a lot. No, what have you done with Jesus? Have you, had you ever received Jesus to wash away your sin? Was he your Lord and your savior? Well, no, but I was a good person. You weren't good. And he'll say, get away from me. I never knew you. And you will be cast into the lake of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
forever. And that's called the second death. Have you been born again? You will not see the kingdom of God in the future. We're talking heaven. And you will not understand or see the kingdom of God in 2013 here in this church unless you've been born again. The natural man, Paul says, can't even begin to comprehend the things of God. The spirit of God must reveal it to him. The natural man is similar to the carnal man that we read of in chapter three, but the carnal man has actually been born again. He's someone that actually has been saved. Now, the word carnal here that we read of in 1 Corinthians chapter three, it comes from the Latin word carne, which means flesh, the fleshly man. I think about that every time I eat chili con carne, you know? When Lindsay and I got married, she was going to OSU and I was a full-time youth pastor and we were just both really busy. So we lived off of Nally's Tabasco chili every day and tortilla chips, right? And I remember that can, con carne, you know? I'm like, ah, I like the meat in my chili, all right? It's what Paul is saying here. You are someone who is carne, carnal. You're living by the meat, by the flesh. That's all you see. You see right here, right now, what's good for you. You don't see what's happening all around you right now. What God's working, his spirit is working. His angels are working. They're moving around. He's furthering and advancing his kingdom. He's prepping things. He's moving and advancing his agenda. And you don't see that because you're chili con carne. You're just about the flesh. You're with meat in a sense. It describes a believer who lives oriented toward the flesh, characterized by the flesh. What's best for me right here, right now? It's Sunday morning. The scriptures say, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. But what's better for me right now? Hanging out, chillaxing feeding my flesh, doing other things, watching the game, watching the race, going to the lake. That's not all bad. That's not bad, actually. But we replace what God tells us to do so often with what seems better for me right here, right now. What will my flesh like? The carnal Christian, the Christian con carne, possesses God's spirit but has yet to let the spirit of God possess him. Let me change that. You here this morning, and the Lord is telling you who you are. You've been born again. You possess the spirit of God, but you aren't letting the spirit of God possess you. You haven't let the Holy Spirit shape and color your outlook on life. Your life right now is governed by natural even sinful appetites. You have God's spirit, but you live as if you didn't. And Paul refers to you this morning as a carnal Christian. You are a baby. A carnal Christian is someone who is governed by the flesh, squeezed by the flesh, living for sensual things, things that look good, taste good, feel good, sound good. That's what I want. You follow after bodily appetites and desires. Yes, Jesus has saved you, but you haven't allowed him to be the Lord of your life. And Peter in chapter two of Acts, when he's preaching, he says, God has made this man, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, both Lord and Savior, both Christ and Kyrios. Not one or the other for you. Oh, he's my Christ. He's my savior. My sins are washed away. But now I live for myself. And he might try to speak to me through things of the Bible and things of the scripture and things of other Christians in my life. Don't talk to me about it. He's my savior, not my Lord. I want to be a Christian, but I want to do my own thing. Stop looking at me that way. Stop judging me. Quit preaching at me. I don't want to hear it. I've received the light, but I won't walk in the light. The carnal Christian is not affecting anybody for Christ, has no influence in others' lives for the kingdom, but rather makes Christianity seem questionable in the eyes of the world. 
The carnal Christian has self on the throne of his life. He's dominated by self and lives to build up the kingdom of self. In the carnal Christian's life, there's not a lot of difference between the way the unsaved coworker lives and the way the carnal Christian lives. Now, I'm not saying that you're out there token on a joint or getting drunk every day, but we all have coworkers who are very moral individuals. They look polished. They look great, but they don't have Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. And many of you look just like them. Don't you think the God of the universe died on the cross for your sins to make you look different than them? I do. I think there's much more that God wants when he places the spirit of God in the heart of a believer. He wants to shine like a light. He wants to shine like a lighthouse on a dark and stormy coast. The carnal Christian, though, has got too much of Christ in him to enjoy the world and too much of the world in him to enjoy Christ. Anybody there? Anybody ever been there? Bible calls it being lukewarm. You got too much of Christ in you to really enjoy the things of the world and too much of the world in you to enjoy Christ at all. And Jesus says in the book of Revelation, man, I wish you were hot or cold. Be one or the other. But don't dilly-dally in the middle and straddle the fence. Because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth, is what he says. There's the story of an apple tree that bordered a school piece of property and a farmer's piece of property. And so they built the fence right up to the tree and then, and then on the other side. So the, the fence went right practically through the middle of this tree. And during the day, the, the children would come and they'd swing on the branches and try to shake off all the apples. But the farmer didn't want the kids getting the apples, so he'd go by and he'd beat the tree and try to get the apples off. This, this darn tree never got to enjoy being a tree because the, the kids were beating him up and the farmers were beating up fighting over his apples. That's what's going on in your life, carnal Christian. You aren't enjoying living in sin. You aren't enjoying a life of of carnality because the Holy Spirit is inside you going, you know this isn't right. You're living for the flesh. You're living for the things of this world. Meanwhile, you're here in church and you're getting texts from buddies that want you to party and want you to do this and want you to do that and they're beating on you from the other side. You can't have two masters. You're gonna end up loving one or hating the other or loving one and hating the other. No one can serve two masters. Alan Redpath said the carnal Christian is a child of God, born again and on his way to heaven, but he's traveling third class. And in Romans chapter seven, you seem to have a portrait of the carnal Christian, a guy who's indwelt by the spirit, but he's mastered by the flesh and not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says this, man, I am carnal in Romans chapter seven. I'm carnal, sold under sin. What I'm doing, I don't understand. What I want to do, that I do not practice. What I hate to do, that I do. If, I, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it's not any longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. The Romans chapter seven guy that I just read is a guy who's a carnal Christian. He's seeing things and he's living things after the flesh. In fact, what I just read to you has the word I in it 19 times. Even in his battling sin, he's carnal. I, 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 I'm trying to do this. I'm going to this recovery life program. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. I can't even win. And he closes it by saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this bondage of sin and death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Enter in the Romans eight man who has a life of the spirit and has victory in the spirit and doesn't live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. How many times is the word I used in Romans chapter eight? Zero. It's not about I, it's not about the flesh. 
It's about the Holy Spirit and his power in the Christian. He gives us victory over sin. He's stronger than sin. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. A carnal Christian shows the same behavior as you'd see in a nursery. Paul calls them babes. As Sandy Adams says, if they don't get their way or aren't the center of attention, they cry. Just like a baby, they can't stand on their own and they need other people to prop them up. They lack discernment and become vulnerable to deception. Because of short attention span, they get distracted. They can't feed themselves. The only nourishment comes from their pastor on Sunday morning. That's a baby in Christ. Now, realize this. If you've only been a Christian for just a few weeks, few months, a year, it's okay to be a baby. It's okay to be a baby Christian. That's natural and understandable. Some of you here, you're a baby in Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful season. Just like when we have babies. You know, they're so cute and you just want to hold them and wrap them up so they can't move their arms around. And you, you know, you change their diaper. And, and, and at first it's, it's exciting, you know, oh, okay. And then after a while, you're like, oh, it's time to grow out of this. Okay. <laughs> Feed them the bottle. It's, it's enjoyable. But after years go by, it's time to be wean and it's time to be maturing. It's time to be taught how to do things on your own. And some of you, you're no longer a baby in Christ. You've been saved for many years, but you're still carnal and you're acting like a baby. You're acting immature. Something's gone wrong. Just like Billy Boy's love, you know, there's dysfunction in your life. Nowhere in the scripture do you see playpens and bibs in heaven. Somewhere along the way on earth, when, when you get saved and by the time you get to heaven, there's a maturity that takes place and you grow. And a man of God should be a man of God. And a woman of God should be a woman of God. Maturing in Christ. Babies in Christ. The term is actually sometimes taken in a good sense. Peter exhorts us to be like newborn babies and desire the pure milk of the word. We'll look at that scripture in a little bit. Jesus says in Luke 18, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little baby will by no means enter it. Even here today, many of you are hearing about being born again and you're just, your rationale, you just, that just, oh, it just doesn't seem logical, come on. And some of you like little babies, you're just gonna go like, God says it, I believe it, I need to be born again. I don't care what it is. I'm like a little baby, I'm believing what's being told to me, that's good. Unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, not questioning the gift, but receiving the gift, you'll by no means enter it. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, Paul says, brethren, don't be children in your understanding. In malice, be babies. All right, so it's good to be a baby in some things. It's good to be a baby in hating each other. All right, it's good to be a baby in divisive things and factions and sin. Like, oh, he's like a baby in sin. He doesn't even know how to sin. He's like, I don't know how to do this. Okay, then just don't, okay? It's good to be a baby there. But in understanding the Lord, it's time to grow. It's time to grow up. In the negative sense, sometimes being a child is bad. God has given pastors and teachers and evangelists in Ephesians chapter four, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, their cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we would grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And some of you here this morning, you are children. You are immature Christians and you are in danger of being tossed to and fro and anything that has the word God in it that's thrown your way, you just eat it up and believe it as a doctrine. It doesn't matter if it contradicts the Bible, you go for it. Hey, man, you come to the Bible 
and you let it govern yourself. You become a mature adult in the Bible so that you're not tossed to and fro by every little wind of doctrine that might come up. Paul says in verse two of 1 Corinthians chapter three, I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. And so it's cute to watch a newborn baby sucking on a bottle, isn't it? I mean, isn't that, that's a fun thing. But you see an 18-year-old still on Similac and you've got a problem. Something's wrong. It's the issue with the Corinthians here. They had an immature approach to scripture. They were sucking on the basics rather than chewing on the meteor truths of God. The difference between milk and solid food is one of degrees, not kind. Every doctrine that can be taught in seminary can be taught to children, though not in the same words. And much like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the wisdom that we preach isn't some new and awesome gospel. It's the same gospel. We're just going to be presenting it to you in more applicable ways that you can start bringing out in your life. You're going to start getting it and start growing in it. Milk is not poison. It's nourishment. But if that's all the nourishment you get as you grow, you're going to be stunted. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11. I want everybody to turn there right now. Great passage on the subject. <coughs> Hebrews 5, 11. In the book of Hebrews, the author, we don't really know who it was, might have been Paul, might have been Apollos, might have been somebody else. He is like bringing it like a seminary professor. He is bringing some deep things to the Jewish believers. And he wants to talk with them about how a dude in Genesis 14 named Melchizedek is, a, is, a, is a, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And as he's starting to talk about Melchizedek, he realizes, you know what? These people aren't going to get this. Just like some of you here today, I said the word Melchizedek and you just shut down. Boo! Okay, I'm not sure I can spell Melchizedek, let alone talk about it, all right? And so Paul knows that, or whoever it is, Apollos, whatever. And he says, I've got a lot to say to you about Melchizedek in Hebrews 5.11. It's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Okay? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so the author of Hebrews notices that, that these guys are immature. He wants to talk some deep, awesome truths about who Jesus is and how the Old Testament is this mystery that's pointing all the clues towards Jesus being the solution to the mystery, but they just can't know. They become dull of hearing, and the language there means they become lazy. Their ears had become clogged because they were lazy. And man, we have got to battle that in 2013. I'll admit, this isn't as entertaining, you know, as watching Tom Cruise run down a tower in Dubai. It's the new Mission Impossible. If you haven't seen it, you're doing good? Okay. You know, I, I might rather watch Tom Cruise perform his own stunt on Mission Impossible 4, right? My flesh would. Or our children, you know, they've just got, my kids, you know, they've got, Dad, can I play on your phone, play on your iPad? Can I watch TV on this, on that, and play video games on this and that and that? And man, our children are just so distracted all right, I don't really buy into the whole, you know, ADD thing to the extreme. I think a lot of it is a lack of discipline and a lack of self-control that we have in our kids' lives. Different Bible study, different time, and I'm not the professional. But what Paul is saying and what Apollos or whoever Hebrews author is, is that we can become so lazy in hearing about the things of God because our flesh is being satisfied on every level on the outside. Is that you? Is that you this morning? 
How old are you as a Christian? Okay, I want you to think of a number in your mind. How old are you as a Christian? Now transpose that to human years and, and what our maturity level goes through. Some of you should be teachers right now. You know, we think in our elders meetings, who, who, could, who could start another core group? Who could lead a 242 group? Man, them or them or them. Man, um, immature. Immature as Christians. Don't know the word. Don't spend time. Guys, it's time to mature. Some of you, it's, it's time to be leading a 242 group, leading a core group, teaching in the children's ministry. But some of you, you're not able because you're dull of hearing and you've gone lazy and you just want milk all the time. You want a 20-minute Bible study on a Sunday morning. You want a lot of features up on the screen to really wow you and entertain you. You want a smoke machine up here, an electric guitar. You know, that's what I want. I want an experience at church. I want milk. God wants you to cut teeth and grow and become men and women of the word. To set aside being a baby, unskilled in the word of righteousness. And to become mature of full age. We just read it. A mature Christian is one who, by reason of use has their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What does that by reason of use mean? How is this person able to do that? He's been using his spiritual senses. He's been using his spiritual senses. He's been training. And in his or her training, they're able to, to have discernment and know the word. They're able to be in ministry and expound the things of God. <clears throat> The difference between the carnal baby and the spiritually mature app uh, is really that of appetite. It's that of appetite. Milk, Similac versus tri-tip, right? Something you chew, something you dream about at night, you know? A baby reads Bible stories, needs the action Bible, right? If you have kids, get the action Bible. Needs something in front of them. Like, whoa, like that's what David did. You know, yeah, see the picture. And if I flip it really fast, it moves, you know, a baby needs Bible stories, but a mature Christian studies Bible doctrine. A baby wants to know about God. A mature man or woman seeks to know God. A baby marvels at what God does but the spiritually mature worship who God is. A baby learns spiritual biblical principles, but the mature gains a biblical perspective. A baby fills his mind with facts. The mature man fills his heart with love. Love my little Laney, a little three-year-old Laney girl. And she is growing and maturing and becoming a little woman. It's just crazy. And it's been so cool to watch her learning how to talk and learning how to think and, and, and love the little baby time, you know? But now she's not a baby anymore. And we're in that stage, you know, where, you know, she, she tries to talk to me like a baby, like, me no likey, you know, or whatever. And we're like, Lainey, I think it's even more precious and even more cute when you talk like a big girl. I'll respond much better when you're not, I want a widow whammy. You know, it's like, just say you want a lamb, okay? You know, I don't know why I said that. We don't have property for a lamb. Don't try to give me a lamb. <laughs> but if my precious little laners was to grow up and still behave like a little kid, still needing a diaper, still needing a bottle, that would be a dagger to my heart. That would be extremely painful. It's the same with the Lord. He looks at us and he says, grow, grow. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And as you grow, you'll cut teeth. Keep pressing in. Keep spending time with me. And I'm not gonna teach you about me. I'm gonna show you me. We're gonna have relationship. And many Christians, even in this room, are in the same place as the Corinthians. 
growing in years, but not in maturity. Are you in the same place with God that you were a year ago? Ask yourself that. Think about, where was I a year ago right now? The time that I would spend praying, the time I would spend in the scripture, the time I would spend in fellowship with other believers, being a disciple, making disciples, witnessing to people, being a light at my work, whatever it might be, have you grown at all? A saying I used to have written in my Bible by Chuck Smith was if you've ever worshiped the Lord more or prayed more or read your Bible more than you do today, then you're backslidden. But the Lord tells Jeremiah, come to me and I will heal your backslidings. If you know today that, that you've backslidden, just come to Jesus today. Confess that to him. Lord, I've had no appetite. I've wanted little, you know, milk. My kids, they wake up every morning and they have to have hot chocolate, hot milky. That's what they call it. Hot chocolate, hot milky. Hot, and it's like their crack or it's like their coffee. I don't know which, but they wake up. They will not talk or function until you put the sippy cup of hot chocolate, hot milky in their hands. And you know, Russell's at that age. He's like gonna be a first grader and he comes out. He's got his blankie, little brown thing he's had since the day he was born. And he comes out and he's like, I want my hot chocolate, hot milky. You know, he's like growing up. And it's like, it might be time to start calling it like, Chocolate milk, you know, or something, but no, hot chocolate, hot milky, right? A mocha, yeah. There you go, boy. <laughs> How about you? Are you coming to here to church and you're like, I want my milky? And you look at the pastor and you're like, dance, monkey, dance, you know, <laughs> entertain me. Probably better stick to my notes, none of this is in there. <laughs> Moral of the story, that would be bad. It's time to grow. Pastor, bring the meat. I brought my steak knife. Let's plunge the depths of who God is. I'm not a natural man and I'm not a carnal Christian. I want to know my God and I want him to move in my life. And Paul says, I couldn't do that. Verse three says, you are still carnal. You know, in verse two, it was okay where they were in verse two. They were new. It was a new church plant. Back then, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. That was okay. They were baby Christians. Verse 2 says, until now, you weren't able to receive it. They would have thrown it up. You know, you can't feed a baby the tri-tip. Call DHS, the welfare officer, whatever, and get those kids taken away. They can't chew it. It's not palatable. It was okay where the Corinthians were in verse 2. But at the end of verse 2, even now, five years later in this church, you're still not able. There's a problem there. Why? Verse three, because they were still carnal. For where there's envy and strife and divisions among them or among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So not only is living a life in the world and out there in wickedness and just blatant, obvious debauchery, that's carnal, that's bad, all right, sinful. But in verse three, it's narrowed down to where the Corinthians were. There was envy and strife and divisions among them and that was a telltale sign of carnality. They had envy, which means hot, oily fervor. They had strife, which means quarrels and contentions. And you know, in the scriptures, envy and strife are always found together. One man called it the Siamese twin of the New Testament. Envy and strife. When you become jealous, fervorously jealous, hotly boiling jealous, that's not going to stay in your heart. That's going to make its way outward and it's going to affect your family. It's going to affect the church. It's going to affect the community and it's going to bring about division. Flip in your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2, but we're going to read verse 2 first. And I quoted to you earlier, but it says, 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes 
Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now let's go back to verse one. Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. You see, there was an immaturity as Peter reached out. And he said, I can tell there's immaturity because of the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, and the evil speaking. It was causing divisions. There's immaturity there. So get into the word, he says. Get into the word. Desire the word. This mark of carnality in the church can be friction and division. John Calvin says, from envying spring up contentions, and these, when they have once been enkindled, break out into deadly sects. The church will be split. The church will be divided. The body of Christ will have fellowship quenched when we are a carnal church. It will lead to envy, jealousy, and contentions. The solution, so to the spirit by getting into the word. Don't just listen to the word. Get into the word and let the word get into you. Go through the word and let the word go through you. Ask the Lord to develop an appetite for the word in your life. Psalm 119 has these two verses that I've placed in my heart. Psalm 119.1 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. And verse 11 of Psalm 119 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how can we grow and mature? First Corinthians says, man, get into the word. Pray for an appetite. If you've been born again, you have the spirit of God in you. And he is just chomping at the bit to plunge the depths of who God is and reveal these things to you. He has so much more for the Christian's life than carnality. Gordon Fee says, spiritual people are to walk in the spirit. If they do otherwise, they are worldly and are called upon to desist. Remaining worldly is not one of the options. Kids will fight over trivia, trivial and selfish stuff and trivia. In verse four, you, you see one person in Corinth was saying, I'm of Paul. And another says, I'm of Apollos. He says, when you do that, aren't you carnal? You're acting like a kid. My dad can beat up your dad. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. That's, that's a mark of carnality. And we're going to have the worship team come up right now. And we're going to go to the communion table. And as we do that, we're going to remember the price that the Son of God paid to redeem us from the world, to redeem us from sin, to redeem us from death. As you come forward as a Christian and take the elements, you take the cup, which is a symbol of Jesus' blood shed for the remission of sin. You take the bread, which is a symbol of his body that was broken and pierced and bruised for our sins. I want you to, to gaze at the cup and I want you to look at the cracker and I want you to think about Jesus' body broken and his blood spilled out. I want you to think about the price that he paid with his precious blood to redeem you from your sins. And I want you to pray the prayer of the psalmist where he says, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We've spoken of a few different people this morning. The first was the natural man. The natural man that doesn't know God, can't know God. Everything around him is just, it's, it's based on the flesh and he's on his way to hell. And maybe you come through those doors this morning and that's you. 
you haven't been born again. You haven't been regenerate. You don't understand the things of God, nor do you have a desire to know God. And you need to be born again. And God in his love for you has brought you here this morning that you might be saved. That you might be saved from yourself. You might be saved from sin that just got you and you're in bondage to it. He wants to save you from it this morning. He's brought you to this place to hear this message that you might believe this message. You might believe that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That if you would rest in him and trust in him and yield your life to him, you wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And today, God wants to take you from the place of being a natural man to being a spiritual man. Some of you come here today and you've been born again. You've received the light, but you're not walking in the light. You've been walking in sin. That will lead to death. That will lead to death. In fact, the Bible says that you can't continue on in that. If you're actually a Christian one way or another, you need to repent, you need to get out of that, or you're not even a Christian to begin with. And he's brought you here today in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, that you might be confronted with the fact that you are a carnal Christian this morning. That you might repent of your carnality. You'd repent from your selfishness and self-centeredness and just doing what you want to do regardless. And as you come to the communion table, before you partake, I urge you to repent. If you're not going to repent of your carnality, I would just say, hey, you need to, you need to just not partake of communion. You're not in a right place. But this morning, there's mercy. Some of you today, God, he just, he, he says, you're a spiritual man. You're mature. Be encouraged. You're emulating me. And so as we close with this song, why don't we stand now? And as you just are ready, come down to the communion table. Take the elements. You can take them back to your seat. But before you partake, just take some time. And confess carnality, whatever you see even creeping into you today. Those of you that want to be born again today, just right now, just rest in what Jesus has done on the cross. Just say to him, Lord, I trust you with my life. I yield to you with my life. I place you in my life right now as my Lord and my Savior. And if that's you this morning, you can come to the table. You can get the elements and go to your seat and rejoice and thank God for his blood and his body that he gave up to know you, to have relationship with you and you with him. Go ahead, Kendra. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.